0: Well, good evening and uh, welcome back to uh, the Centerpoint School of Theology. And as Neil was saying, this is the last lesson of this semester. We'll begin again in the fall, uh, in September. And uh, we'll move on to uh, the the wonderful topic of, um, you know, I'm trying to think, the Ordo Salutis. Uh, the application of redemption. So we'll be looking at things like uh, calling and justification and adoption and sanctification and perseverance and so on. Uh, but that's for the fall. Uh, next week, uh, there's, a, there's a card on the table. If you want to fill this out and you can take it home and bring it back next week, um, if you bring it back next week, I'm going to have to answer on the fly. Um, and it it would be nice to have just a little glimpse of what the question is, Um, but you may also, if you're electronically um, savvy uh, and uh, there's a Facebook page and there's a Twitter page and you can ask your questions that way if you know what I'm talking about if you don't, don't worry about it, but if you do uh, you can also submit these questions electronically and I I know that we've already had a number of questions submitted electronically and I suspect those are questions submitted by folks who aren't actually here uh, but listen to the podcast uh, every week. So, uh, of course, you may ask a, a question about anything but, but the point of it was to ask questions about the topics uh, of this particular semester. So, questions about... Uh, about Christology about the doctrine of uh, Christ and about his person uh, and, and work. And then I was being a little pr- provocative uh, in the choice of the hymn uh, There is a Green Hill Far Away by uh, Cecil Francis Alexander uh, There is a Green Hill Far Away without or outside a city wall where the, de- where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all and what do we mean when we sing that? That Jesus died to save us all. Uh, is is uh, Ms. Alexander suggesting here that it was the intent of Jesus to provide an atonement that theoretically was, was, how can we put this, was sufficient to save every single human being that ever was, is, and shall be? Is, is that what it's saying? Uh, Is it saying, uh, who died to save us all? Is this uh, this code language, is the us here, the elect? Uh, That Jesus provided uh, an atonement on behalf of the elect, on behalf of those whom the Father had given to him. Uh, And in which case, the intent of the atonement was to save everyone whom the Father had given to him. Or is this just a general statement about that, uh, that the gospel is to be preached to, to everybody? Uh, so when you sing these hymns, of course we sing them and we don't often think about what it is we're singing. What, what do you mean, what do you understand by who died to save us all? Well, I'll let you ponder that as to what it was you were thinking about when you were singing that hymn. But tonight, uh, and probably this is, it, it's not the most difficult in the sense it, intellectually, although there are difficulties associated with it. It wouldn't be center point school of theology if there weren't some difficulties associated with what it is we're studying. But it's difficult for a lot of people because this is, this is the doctrine that, that many Christians find difficult to to believe and difficult to accept. And the doctrine is variously uh, called um, particular atonement or limited atonement. Let's take the L word, limited atonement, for a minute. Uh, This is is one of the five points of Calvinism. Tulip, Uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. And those five, those five truths, uh, were of course espoused in in a doctrinal form uh, at the Synod of Dort in 1618, 1619, and the Synod of Dort was in response to. Uh, what what is sometimes referred to as the remonstrance or what what you and I sometimes refer to as Arminianism. Uh, And and Arminius and Arminianism had espoused 10 years or more before the Synod of Dort uh, a view that Jesus, uh, Jesus died for everybody. They weren't universalists, that is they didn't believe that everybody was going to be saved... They weren't like modern liberals who believe that everybody's going to be saved. They, they believed in a heaven and a hell, and they believed that hell wasn't going to be empty, that, that, that there were going to be people in hell, to put it crassly. But they also believed that Jesus died, provided an atonement for everybody, and, and the way that that atonement becomes effective is through the exercise of faith on our part. That was what the Arminians said... And the Synod of Dort, a.k.a. the Calvinists, responded with TULIP and responded with this particular doctrine, um, limited atonement or particular redemption. Now, the word limited atonement is sort of fighting uphill from the very start, the very idea of limitation in the atonement is, is... is, is to prejudice the doctrine before you've even got it out of the box If I can put it that way So a better way of describing what it is we're talking about Is a particular redemption That, that Jesus died for particular individuals namely, namely the elect Of course it ruins the acronym TULIP T- TUPIP doesn't mean anything <laughs> So that's why we, we often still refer to it as limited atonement now, um, I'm going to begin, and, and apologies to those of you who think we should begin in the Bible, and I'm going to do the opposite. I'm actually going to begin in theology and end up in the Bible, and, and, and that may be maybe prejudicing the issue from the very start. Um, but I, I do want to show you that this doctrine, first of all, is, is actually part of the belief system, uh, of the westminster confession and um, the westminster confession is the is the confession of this church and so office bearers uh, deacons and elders and and, and ministers here uh, subscribe this confession as uh, as their understanding of the doctrines that the bible teaches and chapter 8 of the Confession is the chapter on Christ and on the Mediator, uh, and it's on the, on the work of Christ in particular, uh, and there are three particular statements in chapter 8 that set the Westminster Confession right in line with the Synod of Dort, right, so in line with the Calvinists rather than in line with the Arminians, so, so let's look at it. Uh, um, Chapter 3, first of all, uh, and and section 6. Chapter 3 is the chapter on the decree. God hath appointed the elect unto glory. So hath he by the eternal and most free purpose of his will foreordained all the means thereunto. Wherefore, they who are elected, being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ. Remember, we were... Do you remember when we talked about infra- and supralapsarianism? You've probably forgotten all about that now, but that, that, was, that was the issue behind the, that statement being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ, are effectually called unto faith in Christ by his Spirit, working in due season, are justified, adopted, sanctified, and kept by his power through faith unto salvation. Neither are any other redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, Adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only. In other words, there is a correspondence here between those who are actually saved and those whom God wills to save. Now, follow, and I said this wasn't technically difficult, and now I'm going to get technically difficult in the first few minutes, but follow closely the, the reasoning here. If you believe, for example, as the Arminians did, that Jesus died to provide atonement for everybody. In other words, there is, there is a, a, a will of God for the salvation of everybody. And not just not just a desire, but he actually provides an atonement in Christ for everybody. But only the elect are actually saved, only some are actually saved. There's a disparity between the will of God and the accomplishment of God. And what this chapter is saying is that, that God's will is always done. So, so those who are saved are those whom God purposes to save. And, and they are those for whom he provides atonement, as chapter 8 and sections 5 and 8. Let's look at these sections a little more closely. So, chapter 8 and section 5, the Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he through the eternal spirit once offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of his Father, and purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for... All those whom the Father hath given unto him. follow Follow the reasoning here. Salvation has been purchased for those whom the Father has given to the Son. It's not been purchased for anyone else. It's been purchased only and solely and effectually for those whom the Father has given to the son uh, the, the, the language of giving to the son of course is is language from john 's gospel all all the, and think of think of the high priestly prayer, and Jesus prays for those whom you have given to me right so there is a correspondence here between the purchasing of salvation and those in whom that salvation becomes effective, and, and there's no disparity between the two. they're, they're one and the same. Uh, and then in, in section eight, to all those for whom Christ hath purchased redemption, he doth certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same. Now, Follow the reasoning, it's it's very close. All for whom Jesus has purchased redemption will be saved. That there are none for whom Jesus purchases redemption who are not saved. He, he doesn't purchase salvation for number X and apply to number Y, and X and Y are not the same. Nod if you're following the logic of that. Of that, and, and I need you to follow with me here. Um, so, so that's 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 this, That's the confessional statement uh, on limited or particular redemption. And I'm, I'm merely pointing that out. This isn't, this isn't a, a truth uh, that is held, say, by some obs- obscure, hard-nosed Calvinist. This is. This is actually the belief of mainstream uh, Presbyterianism. Uh, It's right right here in the 8th chapter of the Confession. Now I'm passing over the section on Calvin. Uh, It's a technical, historical, much debated issue. Um, uh, it's, it's It's a question that's somewhat out of court in that the issue of particular redemption didn't actually arise until the 17th century and, and you're asking a question here about someone in the middle early to the middle 16th century as to whether he believes in a, in a doctrine that wasn't really formulated until the 17th century and, and there's something anachronistic, there's something wrong about about that as a, as a question now if you press me against the wall I would say if you read John Calvin's commentary say on 1 John 2.2 2, um, and, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only but, but for the sins of the whole world when you read John Calvin's commentary on that it is in keeping with a view that is consistent with particular redemption rather than a view that is consistent with something, something broader than that But the question is somewhat moot, although scholars and historians debate it at at length. So I'm passing over that. Um, What is the question that we're asking here? Uh, You notice I've called it the extent of the atonement. Uh, And when you think of the extent of the atonement, what you're really asking is how many going to be saved or how many is the salvation that Jesus purchased capable of purchasing something like that and and perhaps although it's often referred to as the extent of the atonement perhaps a better thought would be what was the intent of the atonement what was Jesus Actually, what was the triune God setting out to achieve in providing a mediator? And was that intent accomplished? Or was that intent frustrated? Because at the heart of our minion belief is that the intent of the triune God was to, was to save as many as possible but actually that intent was not accomplished because less were actually saved in armenian thought so in the the logic that drives this question is what was god intending in providing a mediator and was that intention of god fulfilled now there are basically four positions here, there are more, but, but let's, let's narrow it down uh, to four uh, positions on the atonement. One, and, and it's important that we get these, these categories uh, correct, one is universalism. The belief, not only that Jesus died for everybody, but that everybody's going to be saved. Uh, the belief that hell is empty, actually most universes don't believe in hell, but, 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 but everyone is going to be saved. Not, not just Christians and nominal Christians, but, but Hindus and Buddhists and, and, and Muslims and, and everyone in between. Uh, and, and people of no faith and no religion, at least that's what they say they have. So, so u- universalism, that the intent was that Christ died for all and all will be saved. A Second view, uh, and it's the Arminian view, uh, this is the view of Arminius himself, that the intent is that Christ died for everybody, uh, and I mean everybody, for Judas Iscariot, that, that, that Jesus provided an atonement for Judas Iscariot, but, but they're not universalists, they, they don't actually believe that everybody's going to be saved. They believe that some are saved and some are lost. They believe that some are lost eternity. They, they believe that hell is, 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 is not empty. So the cross is not directly a satisfaction. Now, now remember when we were looking at theories of the cross, we, we talked about substitution and satisfaction. The satisfaction of divine justice. You're not tracking, go back, turn the page back to chapter 8 of the confession. And do you remember that statement in in the in the middle bit there, 8 5? The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he through the eternal spirit once offered up unto God, Hebrews 9 language, hath fully satisfied the justice of his father. There, there it is, the satisfaction of justice. Now I want want to plant a thought in your head. If the cross of Jesus satisfies divine justice as far as sinners are concerned, for what are sinners condemned? If, If justice has been satisfied by the work of Christ on the cross, why are they still condemned? And, and, and the only answer you're going to be able to give here is because of their lack of faith. But lack of faith is a sin. And if Jesus provides satisfaction for sin, all sin, why are they still condemned? That's, that's going to be the, that's going to be the, 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 the question that, that lurks behind these, these theories. Then thirdly, the canons of Dort. Uh, limited atonement, particular redemption the view that we're considering uh, this evening and then, and then there's a fourth view and we're not going to go into this here this evening uh, it's, it's, it's a view that's sometimes given a label uh, Amaraldianism uh, because of Moise Amaraut uh, 1596 to 1664 um, and it's sometimes referred to as hypothetical universalism that Christ died for everybody without exception, but God recognized that all would not believe and the Holy Spirit applies salvation to the elect while Christ dies for all. Now, it's a confusing... Uh, thought in itself, uh, th- there, are, there are some who hold it thinking that they hold this but actually what, they, what they're actually espousing is something more of an Arminian nature of the atonement than, but I'm, we're not going there tonight, that's a, that's a discussion for another time, another place um, but um, for fullness there is a fourth view here. Let's try and boil this down a little more, what is the state of the question? And and let me do this, first of all, negatively. We are not asking, we're not asking what is the intrinsic sufficiency of the death of Christ. You know, was the death of Jesus only sufficient? That, That there was something... There was something deficient in it for everybody, and it was it was only efficient it, 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 there was only enough can I put it in very crass language there was only enough power in the atonement to save the elect but but no more Th- that's not the logic that's driving this doctrine it, it is not a suggestion that there was something inherently insufficient about the death of Jesus. Uh, Look at the canons of Dort, and I'm quoting here a couple of the canons of Dort. Uh, This is, uh, uh, and and the ordering of the canons of Dort are somewhat complicated, but articles three and four of the second main point of doctrine, article three, the death of God's Son is the only and entirely complete sacrifice and satisfaction for sins. It is of infinite value and worth. Now, these are, these are the Calvinists, and, and they're, del- they're deliberately using this language, infinite value and worth, because this is not about some intrinsic insufficiency in the atonement. It is of infinite value. It, it, it could have, had God willed it, it would have saved everybody there wasn't, it wasn't because of a limitation in the value in the worth of the sacrifice of Jesus that's not the state of the question similar in article 4 um, a, a statement a, fr- a phrase um, uh, that, that has gone round uh, uh, and it still does the rounds uh, we trace it back to Peter Lombard uh, in the 12th century that the death of Jesus was sufficient for all and efficient for the elect. Sufficient for all, efficient for the elect. You, you, you may like it. You, 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 you you're free to go with it. Uh, it. It's one of those. It's it's one of those. You know, you 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 you, you learn this this this, this little mantra comes pops out in the in the any any debate on particular redemption. This phrase is probably going to emerge somewhere that it was uh, sufficient for all and efficient for the elect. Um, Let let's let's keep moving. Let's go to um, and I've got some more quotations there uh, to point B. what the, what the canons of Dort were denying, it, it denied that Christ is to be, it's a double negative. When, when, when they speak about the, about the limited atonement or particular redemption, they don't mean, they don't mean that Christ isn't to be offered to everybody. This is not a denial of what we sometimes call the free offer of the gospel. Um... You know, the hyper-Calvinists came back and said, if Jesus only died for the elect, then then only the elect should hear the gospel. There's no point preaching the gospel to those for whom Jesus didn't die. So you only preach the gospel to the elect. Well, how can you tell who the elect are? Well, they have to give you signs that they are elect. Right. So you only preach the gospel to those who already give you signs that they're already elect, that they're already converted. And that's, that's kind of tricky because you can give false signs, right? So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a road to ruin. Um, but but the, the allegation came back at, at this doctrine. That somehow or other it was denying evangelism, it was denying missions, it was denying the free offer of the gospel. To, to say to, to anybody, no matter who they are, that if they believe in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. This doctrine does not deny that. Right? This, is not, this doctrine is not intended in any shape, way or form to deny the, the need for and the urgency for evangelism and mission. Now if you say, if you turn around and say, how can anybody do evangelism and mission who believes in limited atonement, then you don't know the history. Dick, is that your phone? <laughs> if, if, if you look at the history of mission... I uh, think of George Whitfield, who traveled hundreds of thousands of miles preaching the gospel to whoever would listen to him. He was a Calvinist. He believed this doctrine. William Carey, uh, who went to uh, India, he believed this doctrine. So, so th- this doctrine has, has never historically been the cause of inhibiting evangelism and mission. Now, see the precise question. What is the ultimate intention in the work of the Trinity? What did God, the, the Trinitarian God, what did the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit intend by providing a mediator? Was it God's intention to redeem all of humanity? Now what are the possible answers to that question? Was it it God's intention that the sins of all human beings should be redeemed? That that atonement, that a ransom price should be paid for the sins of every single human being? Was, Was that God's intention? Now... Um, the the argument uh, the argument goes something like this let let me um, let me take you forward a couple of pages in your notes I want to go to Augustus Toplady's hymn uh, and you'll see it, uh, faith reviving. Uh, it's under the section summary of arguments in support of the reformed doctrine. And and down there, number four, you'll see you'll see double justice, double justice. Look at this. Uh, this is Augustus Toplady. We we sing his hymns. They're in Trinity Hymnal. Uh, and here is one. We don't sing this one. Um, Followed the argument. From whence this fear and unbelief. Right, so it's, it's considering somebody who's, um, who's struggling with assurance. From whence this fear and unbelief. Hath not the father put to grief his spotless son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin which Lord was charged On thee, complete atonement thou hast made, and to the utmost farthing paid, whate'er thy people owed. How then can wrath on me take place, if sheltered in thy righteousness and sprinkled with thy blood? If thou hast my discharge procured, and freely in my room endured, the whole of wrath divine, payment... God cannot twice demand first at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. Turn then my soul unto thy rest. The merits of thy great high priest have bought thy liberty. Trust in his efficacious blood nor fear thy banishment from God since Jesus died for thee. Now, What's he saying? If Jesus died on the cross to pay the ransom price for your sin, he cannot demand justice a second time. I mean, don't you have it in your statute books, double jeopardy? you can't be tried twice for the same crime if Jesus has paid if if the intent of the cross was to pay the ransom price why is God judging you on the day of judgment what is there to judge because the penalty has been paid the substitution has been made the satisfaction for justice has already been offered Payment God cannot twice demand. Once at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. If you believe in the doctrine of substitution, Jesus died for me, in my place. Remember, we looked at those little prepositions, who, pair, and so on. He died in my place. He bore the wrath that my sins deserved. He paid the ransom price. My my debt is canceled. Payment God cannot twice demand. Once at my bleeding, sure at his hand, and then again at mine. Top lady is arguing here the, the, the notion of double justice. If Jesus can die for the sins of humanity on the cross, and humanity can still be judged for those sins on the day of judgment, the nature of what Jesus did on the cross changes. It's not substitution anymore. It's not satisfaction. It's not atonement. It's not redemption. It's not reconciliation. What he has done is something less... It's something hypothetical. It, you, you follow the language, you follow, you follow the logic here of, of, of Augustus Toplady. If you believe that the cross actually was redemptive, if you believe the cross actually made atonement, if you believe the cross actually satisfies divine justice, you know, when you, when you let, me, let me approach it pastorally, when you lack assurance. What, what do you do? You, you run to Jesus. Why are you running to Jesus? Because if Jesus died for everybody and people can still be punished on the day of judgment, where's the assurance in running to Jesus? Now, the Arminian will say Jesus died for all sin except the sin of, of, of unbelief. Right? So, so I, I have to contribute that myself. I have to contribute that faith that's why the Calvinists responded by saying they've made are fa- they're, they're just Roman Catholics in a different guise because they made faith a work. It, it's not it's not the treadmill of sacrament of the sacraments, but it's faith. That's that's my contribution. But that changes the nature of the atonement. Jesus died to provide satisfaction for sins minus faith or the lack of it. Now, when you lack assurance, what do you do? You run to Jesus and you say, Jesus, you have died for me. You've provide, you provided atonement for all of my sins, past, present, and future. Your hope is not in, well, I hope it's not in your faith, or the quality of your faith, or the virility of your faith. The strength of your faith. We are, we are doomed if, if that's where our assurance is coming from. It's like the, the weather. I mean, one day it's cold, one day it's raining, one day it's in the 80s. Where's solid, solid assurance? Where's it going to come from? You look to the cross and what do you see? You see redemption, you see substitution, you see satisfaction, you see atonement, you see reconciliation. You see the slate of debt with the words paid in full on it. And your assurance comes from looking to the cross of Jesus Christ and interpreting that cross as effectual. Top Lady's argument here, it wasn't just Top Lady, it was the argument of the, of the, of the Synod of Dort, it was the argument of John Owen in a massive treatment on this, on this doctrine, in uh, volume 10 of his works, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. Uh, if, you, if you've got time to spare, I recommend John Owen's volume 10 on The Death of Death and the Death of Christ it's it's a it's a tour de force in defense of this doctrine but one of the things that john owen argues for is the issue of double justice now can i can i grab hold of your of your thought processes for a second and let me see if i can get this this logic into your into your heads follow with me if jesus died for everybody he provides atonement for everybody, but, but some are still going to be punished for their sins. It changes the nature of what you mean by providing atonement for. In other words, as, as one very renowned Presbyterian minister in the 19th century saw it, and he was dismissed... Right? He was defrocked, as they said, in the 19th century. He was, he, was, he was excommunicated from the Presbyterian church. But he understood the logic. If Jesus died for everybody, which is what he believed. Now, he wasn't a universalist. He didn't believe that everybody was going to be saved. But Jesus provided atonement for everybody. The nature of that atonement changes. And, and the logic Drove him to say that the death of Jesus was not substitutionary. If Jesus' death is substitutionary. It means that he has provided atonement. Complete atonement for sin. You're following the, the logic? Payment God cannot twice demand. If, if, if it has been paid at my bleeding surety's hand, if it has been paid at the hands of my Savior Jesus, it cannot be demanded of me again on the day of judgment. Now, if it can, the nature of what Jesus did has to change. It is no longer substitution. It is no longer satisfaction. So, so those who deny, according to folks like Top Lady... Those who deny particular redemption have to change the nature of what Jesus was actually accomplishing on the cross. And it has to be something less than full payment. It has to be something less than substitution. Now, the issue, of course, when you come to uh, the New Testament, and that's, that's all very well, you say, to argue uh, theologically uh, and 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 logically in that fashion. But what about you know what about obvious verses in the New Testament? Uh, what about uh, uh, let's 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 look at the all and world passages here. Uh, it's number six beneath that uh, that hymn by Top Lady Faith Revived. Drop down to point number six. All and world passages and uh, these, are, these are often uh, raised as problems for limited atonement so let's look at, let's look at a, a, a few of them John 1 29. let me quote it from the King James version uh, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world so, so John sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does world mean? Or uh, John 3, uh, 14 through 18, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What what does it mean to say God so loved the world? Does that mean that Jesus loved the world in the sense that he made atonement, he provided satisfaction, he substituted himself on behalf of all of humanity? In precisely the same way. Or Second Corinthians five fourteen and 15. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all. Then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves. But for him who died for them and rose again. Or drop down to the very bottom there. First John 2, 2. And he, Christ himself, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so you've got these passages in the New Testament. The all passages or the world passages. And, and, and what, what do these mean? What, what does the word world mean, for example? Uh, John three sixteen: for God so loved the world. Well, let me say that there are a number of possible answers. Without without saying for a minute what the answer is to every single one of these texts, and and it may vary from text to text, but God so loved the world. Does it mean world in the sense of every single individual human being, or does world here mean, for example, God so loved this world, not, not, a, not a platonic world, not a hypothetical world, n- not a perfect world, but a sinful world, a morally corrupt world. This kind of world, this ugly, rotten, God-hating world. God so loved this kind of world. Uh, there is uh, some argument from things that John says elsewhere that that's a possible, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what John 3.16 means, for a minute, it's 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 not important for a minute as to what it actually means. Is, all I'm saying is that it's that there's more than one possible answer to the question, "What does world mean?" That is perfectly consistent with the idea of particular um, particular um, redemption. Or take um, you know First John two two, uh, he uh, himself, Jesus Christ himself, is the propitiation. For our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Not just for Jews, but for Gentiles. This is John. John's a Jew. Jesus came to fulfill the messianic prophecies of Judaism. He's the messiah of the Jews He's the Jewish messiah But he's not only a messiah for them He's a messiah for the Gentiles too For Portuguese and Australians And, and the Polish and the Mexicans And, and so on Because what, what does the word propitiation mean? But you've been using this word What does the word propitiation mean? That, that he, he bore the wrath that my sin deserves. Now if he bore the wrath that my sins deserve for everybody, why is everybody then not saved? And if you say, well because they need to believe, but unbelief is a sin for which he bore the propitiation. So, so why are they not saved? Um... Let me add one more point here. When the New Testament says that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, or for God so loved the world that that he gave his only begotten son, Calvinists, those who believe in particular redemption, that Jesus made atonement for the sins of those whom the Father had given to him, namely the elect, Also argued that every benefit, not just just the benefit of salvation, but every benefit, every benefit of common grace, is is also a product, is also an outcome of the redemptive work of Christ. The, The fact that the sun shines on the just and the unjust... Every every good and perfect gift is, is also a product of the cross. That the gifts of common grace, as it's sometimes called, are also gifts that flow as a result of the redemptive work of Christ. That God... That God spares the ungodly. That God allows the ungodly to, to hear the good news of the gospel. All, all, of, all of these are products of the common grace uh, of God. So, so here's this, um, here's this, this doctrine. It, it, it's a doctrine that flows from an understanding of the nature of the atonement. Once you say that the atonement that Jesus made on the cross is substitutionary, it's a satisfaction of divine justice, it's a propitiation of the wrath of God, it's a redemption price paid on behalf of sin. Once you define the atonement that way, there is a, there is a logic that drives you to one conclusion. That 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 kind of atonement could only be provided on behalf of those whom the Father has given to him. Now, how do I know that I'm one of those for whom Jesus provided atonement then? That's, that's not a different question from how, how do I know that I'm elect. It's the same question in different terms. But it's not your business to ask that question, because you can't answer it, and neither can I. But neither can Dr. Davis. So there's no point in going to ask him. Because he can't hack into the hard drives of heaven and see whether your name's written there either. Not even Snowden can do that. Here's the promise that God has given to you and to me that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise. You want to know whether you're elect? Call upon the name of the Lord, and he will save you. You want to know whether atonement was made for your sin? Run to the Lord. The answer is always, run to Jesus. Trust in him. Lay hold upon him. Trust in his atoning work. What kind of atoning work? An atoning work that is effective. When I trust in this atoning work, it's an atoning work that's effective That's paid the full price That's substituted on my behalf That's satisfied all the demands of justice That's the kind of atonement I want to believe in If Jesus only died hypothetically for everybody But it's all up to you I'm sorry But there's no assurance here I mean, you may have assurance one day when your faith is rather strong, but tomorrow when your faith is rather weak, you're not going to have any assurance at all. And it's a spiral that will lead to despair. The, far from being a doctrine that robs you of assurance, it's actually the very opposite. It's a doctrine. It's the only doctrine that can give you full assurance because there's power in the blood. didn't you used to sing a little gospel ditty that there's power in the blood effectual power a power that actually works well I think my time is gone uh, now if you've got any questions write them down We'll, we'll pick them up next week let's pray together father this is a this is a difficult a difficult truth because we don't want to misunderstand what's on the very surface of the bible that the gospel is to be preached to everybody that we are to go into the, all the world and preach the gospel that we can that we can speak to a complete stranger and say that if they believe in the Lord Jesus they will be saved. And yet, O oh Lord, we we find a wonderful comfort that comes from knowing that the cross in which we place our confidence is a cross that is effectual and that has accomplished what you set out to accomplish. And we can trust it to the full We thank you, Lord That all whom you gave to the Son Will be brought to yourself And we thank you too That whoever believes in the Son Will be saved Father, we pray for your blessing upon us We reflect on these truths We, We are all in different places tonight Different levels of understanding Different Issues come to mind and we pray that we might be led and governed and directed here by, by the scriptures above all else we thank you for the truth that Jesus died for me and that we can say that and from it we can draw the sweetest and the most solid of assurance that he That he truly did die for me. That I might not need to die. And that I might live forevermore. So bless this to us this evening. We pray, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.